You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Sentiment on sustainable investing is at maximum negative, according to a piece of work that I received from Deirdre Cooper from 91 in London. Deirdre is head of sustainable equity at 91. And it says here, sentiment on sustainable investing and climate investing in particular have gone from peak positive to maximum negative over the last couple of years, driven by a number of factors. Uh, Deirdre is with me now. It's almost like a fair weather friend, isn't it, Deirdre? Because, you know, when things get tough, they desert you. And it's almost the same with the topic that we're about to discuss. I think that's exactly right and really nice to talk to you, Lindsay. Thank you. I think there's a couple of reasons that have driven much weaker sentiment on sustainable and and climate investing in particular. The first one unquestionably is interest rates. So we have had a very significant move higher in the 10-year bond yield in the US, which is the sort of key, key global interest rate benchmark. I think what the market is saying is that that cost of capital, it's just going to be more difficult for the world to transition to net zero. And we would absolutely agree that as we need to move to from investing about 1.7 trillion as we do today to more like six or ten trillion dollars to get to net zero, we would, of course, prefer a lower cost of capital to do that. But the market today is saying that the current interest rate means it's impossible to transition, means that clean technologies are more expensive than dirty. And that, in fact, is simply not true. You know, at where 4.8 or wherever we are today, in almost every part of the world, the cheapest form of generation is going to be renewable energy. All of those other clean technologies, whether they're new electric cars or energy efficiency measures, um, have improved massively, which means that even at that higher cost of capital, they're, they're still very, very attractive technologies to they, deploy. They are. I mean, I live in the Netherlands and I was driving along the other day and I go past it regularly. It's a giant sort of industrial area where they make the windmills and it's an extraordinary process that they go through. I mean, I go through once a week and each time you can see the progression of making one of these things. Is it because of that? Is it because you say, well, I've got a power station, I've got a coal-fired power station and it's going to take a lot of money to mothball it and it's going to take a lot of money to install these things offshore or on land. Is that one of the reasons, do you think? Well, I think that in reality, those huge big wind turbines that you see in the Netherlands are actually cheaper than the prevailing power price. So if you look at the recent renewable auction in the UK, the wind cleared at about £70 and the solar cleared at about £53, £54. The power price here in the UK now is more like £120 or £130. So taking those big offshore wind farms that you see and deploying them actually reduces everyone's electricity bill. The problem is mobilizing the capital to do it. Yes. And that's exactly the point that I was making. I think there are a couple of other reasons that have driven this massive change in sentiment towards climate investing. We all read a lot about the anti-ESG movement in the US. So that has clearly affected sentiment. And of course, if I talk about that six to $10 trillion that needs to be invested to get to net zero, more than half that has to go in emerging markets and sentiment on emerging markets and particularly China has just been incredibly weak, even though the pace of investment in the transition in China 
could not be accelerating faster. So this year, for example, solar installations in China are up about 160% year on year. So in the first half of the year, China built about 80 gigawatts of solar, which is more than the entire UK electricity grid in just six months. That's so that, that is massive. sales in China yeah. continue to accelerate. So we also tend to be a little bit myopic as US or European-based investors and look only at that US tenure and forget that there's other parts of the world that don't have an inflation problem. They are loosening monetary and fiscal policy and you know, undertaking stimulus programs and that that is driving huge growth in climate investing, huge growth in the revenues of the companies in the sector. And that's being overlooked because of that negativity on emerging markets. Do you think then that there's a large chunk of the investment community globally that has read the situation wrong, whether it be because of entrenched views in the past or because of the factors that you've already pointed out to me? I think that's right. Look, and I would have to say that if you believe that our current high force, you know, on the US tenure goes to seven, you know, that there's a significant big further move in the yield curve yet to happen, then it's going to be hard for the space to outperform. It's going to be hard for equities in general to outperform, but it's going to be particularly hard for this space to outperform. But if you think that where we are now is not necessarily going to go much lower in the near term, but it's also not going to go much higher, then I think you've read the situation wrong. And in fact, this level of interest rates, this cost of capital, the transition is still eminently achievable and it can come in at prices that are super attractive. And I think we're also exaggerating this anti-ESG movement. You know, I think there are far more column inches than there are dollars put to work. <laughs> if you look at the entire, you know, market cap of the various anti-ESG ETFs, it's about $2 billion dollars. We have $6 trillion invested in Article 8 strategies in Europe, and they're still growing. If you look at the anti-ESG proxy items, I think almost 80% of them failed, a little bit under 80% of them failed. So they got very limited support, you know, from large institutional investors. Um, and I think it's fair to say that we, we as a firm see lots of reasons as to why we're getting close to peak negatives on emerging markets and on China in particular, and that it is an attractive time to start looking at those regions. It is right. You know, when you mentioned that anti-ESG has a lot more column inches than assets, that's exactly when markets either peak or come to the bottom. Just when everyone's at the most optimistic about a particular asset class, for example, you might want to say to yourself, OK, now's the time to be a little bit cautious. So what you're saying is that it's time now to be slightly contrarian and uh, use the column inches theory and start the investment process again or continue it? I think that's exactly right. I think over my 20 years plus of working in finance, that generally the best time to deploy capital into long-term investment themes is when sentiment is negative. And we've seen that multiple times in this particular arena. I've lived through at least three or four. Hmm. And those times have always been huge opportunities for patient long-term investors. I can't tell you when sentiment's going to turn. Nobody, not clever enough to do that. But I can tell you that you are buying these companies at really attractive 
valuations if you can take that long-term view. Well, you pretend not to be clever enough to tell me, and uh, nobody can get the timing exactly right. But what you can tell us is your strategy at 91 at the moment, your head of sustainable equity. Are you taking advantage of these undervalued asset classes or companies? Absolutely. So we continue to rotate out of some of those parts of our sector. So the industrials, that have tailwinds from energy efficiency, that have performed well along with the market, some of our semiconductor names that have also done well, and allocate to some of those purer play renewables and particularly to China, where we see huge valuation upside. Deirdre, thank you very much for your time and your insight. That's Deirdre Cooper, Head of Sustainable Equity at 91 in London. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.